Welcome to the Stony Plain Alliance Church Podcast. We are a community that is about discovering fullness of life for everyone by practicing the way of Jesus together. Well, good morning, church family. Good morning to you who are joining us online. My name is Matt, if you don't know me, and I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, Before we prepare to open up the word, uh, let's pray together. Uh, There's, of course, lots going on in our world these days. Uh, War has, well, never, ever left, but is ramping up again. And so I I want us uh, to spend a few moments reflecting on the words of Isaiah the prophet. This comes from Isaiah chapter 2. So let's pray together and I'll read these. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as the highest of mountains. It will be exalted above the hills and the nations will stream to it. Many people will come and say, come let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his paths. The law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He will judge between the nations and will settle disputes for many people. They'll beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. Come, descendants of Jacob, let us walk in the light of the Lord. And so, Jesus, we pray. We pray that these words would come more and more true every day, that you would come, that you would bring uh, the fullness of your kingdom, that you would return among us, and as you do, that you would bring the tree of life with its leaves for the healing of the nations. And Lord, we pray that we'd experience that in our day. We pray that nations would no longer take up sword against nation. We pray that swords would get turned into plowshares and spears into pruning hooks, that weapons of violence would be used to cultivate life instead of cultivating death. And so, Jesus, we pray that you would come in your kingdom, come in your fullness, and would you heal our broken world. We pray that you'd come and bring peace. We pray that you'd come and you'd bring the end to war. And so we join with the Spirit and the church in the book of Revelation, and we say, come, Lord Jesus, come, come soon. Amen. So uh, we are going to continue now into our study on the book of Proverbs. Uh, And just a quick confession on my side of things. Uh, This is the first time I've ever preached out of Proverbs. So get ready for this. (laughs) Take that however you want to. Um, This book is an ancient advice book on how to live in the Jesus way. I've referenced it before in many sermons, but never read it out loud and gone through it in a sermon. And I don't really know why. I think partly it's because I'd find it too short and pithy and confusing. I'd look at couplets like Proverbs 26, 4-5, which Wade referenced a few weeks ago, that say, Do not answer a fool according to his folly, or you'll be just like him which sounds great until you read the next line, which says, answer a fool according to his folly, or he will be wise in his own eyes. The notes in my Bible at this point just say, huh. It's confusing. Or I'd read passages like, train up a child in the way they should go and they will not depart from it. And then my lived experience of having been a youth pastor for 18 years and seeing kids being trained up in the way they should go and departing from it. And going, Proverbs doesn't seem to work this way. Also, I uh, really like Ecclesiastes because I'm an angsty millennial. These things all play together for why I've probably stayed away from Proverbs 
So this fall, when Wade suggested we preach through Proverbs, I found myself pushing up against it. But as we prayed into it, we really felt Jesus was inviting us into it. And so I began to learn. And one of the resources I found the best was that Bible Project video uh, that we watched at the beginning of the series. If you don't, didn't get a chance to see it, it's on the BibleProject.com website. And it's a great resource for learning all about the scriptures. It's helped me out a lot. And as I studied, I learned that the Proverbs isn't some sort of A plus B equals C style formula for how to live a good life. It's not prophetic utterances of thus saith the Lord like the prophets. Instead, what it is is a practical book of collected wisdom of those who've gone before us. It shows general rules of life because life is far too complex for formulas. And so over the last few weeks, I've been revisiting the book of Proverbs. The other day, I grabbed a pour over at my favorite coffee shop, The Wall. And as I sat there for three hours just soaking in the text, I found it so beautiful and, yes, still so very confusing. But in it, I discovered the voice of wisdom, which Wade has been describing as this relationship between the breadth of our knowledge and the depth of our hearts. It's not about gaining more knowledge alone as much as we love that and our iPhones love that. But instead, it's about allowing our hearts to be transformed by wisdom, allowing the Proverbs to confront us and disturb us as they will but then inviting the Holy Spirit, the spirit of wisdom and revelation into that angst, into that confrontation, and letting him transform us, showing us how to walk in his way. And so far we've looked at communication and work, and today we're going to trace another theme in the Proverbs, and that is the theme of righteousness and justice. This is a central theme in Proverbs, as we see in the opening lines. It says, the Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, for gaining wisdom and instruction for understanding words of insight, for receiving instruction and prudent behavior, doing what is right and just and fair, for giving prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the young. Now, this is a central theme in Proverbs. It teaches us how to do what's right and just and fair. And as a quick qualifier, if something is a central theme, that means it probably comes up a lot. As I was going through Proverbs, I had five pages of just references through the through this book about justice, righteousness. And then as I kept studying more and more, I found more and more. And so that should let you know we won't get to everything. I won't get to everything I want to say here. Instead, let's let this be the beginning of the conversation, not some sort of final word. And so to give you an overview of where we're going in, uh, this morning, I want to tell you this. God has created the world to live by the melody of wisdom. And written into that melody are the themes of righteousness and justice. And we live in harmony with the wisdom of creation by living righteous and just lives. Let's pray. Spirit of living God, we ask that you'd fall fresh on us right now. As our, our video said, you are the, the spirit of wisdom and revelation. And so would you come with wisdom and revelation and show us how to live lives of holiness. How to live lives in your way. And so we pray that you come and speak. Thank you for the gift of the scriptures. Thank you for wisdom. We bless you because you are good. Amen. So as I was preparing the sermon uh, and learning more and more about wisdom, I found my heart and mind being drawn over and over again to the words of J.R.R. Tolkien, which I'm sure all of yours have been throughout this whole series. If you're unfamiliar with Tolkien, or perhaps you've just watched Lord of the Rings or uh, suffered through the Hobbit movies, um, then you will know that he was a Catholic. 
and he's a dear friend of C.S. Lewis. He actually was instrumental in leading C.S. Lewis to faith as he prayed for him for years and years and years. Tolkien was also a brilliant linguist and mythmaker. He is the kind of person who wouldn't just write that Frodo found a sword, he'd then give you 16 pages of explanation about where that sword came from. He created this brilliant world and is the kind of person that when he creates a race called the elves, he decides they need their own language, so I better create a language for these elves. And this was his hobby. I don't know about you, but I struggle even to find a hobby, let alone have it be something this intense. Part of uh, Tolkien's mythology for his land of Middle-earth was the creation of his story, The Anandale, which I'm going to let you know my Elvish is very rusty, so anytime I try and pronounce these. So in this story, which is in his book, The Silmarillion, which again is hard suffering, it's quite deep and dense, in this story is the Allendale. And it's this creation story of Middle-earth. And it's about how the creator, Ilavatar, chose to sing everything into existence. The creator chooses to create the world by singing a song. And he doesn't want to sing alone, so instead he creates the Anor, the other spiritual beings, to join him in his song of creation, teaching them the music and giving them parts to sing to join him in the song of creation. That as they sing together, the world and everything will be formed. And so he begins a song. And everything is created through movements as, as the other spiritual beings join in the song and cultivate it by elaborating on this theme. And it's beautiful, and it's amazing. And so why does my mind go to this song? Well, it's because as I read Proverbs, I kept seeing it talk about the creation of the world and about how wisdom calls to us and speaks to us in creation. And this idea of wisdom calling to us in the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the New Testament, the one that Jesus' uh, readers would be reading, it says that wisdom sings to us that wisdom beckons us in song. It teaches us the way to live. We read this in Proverbs 3, 19 to 20. By wisdom, the Lord laid the earth's foundation. By understanding, he set the heavens in place. By knowledge, the watery depths were divided and the clouds let drop dew. Wisdom was a song of creation. It's the foundation of the world. It's the means by which everything was made. And it's a song of the creation still, because God has created the world to live by the melody of wisdom. It's a song that resonates in our bones. It's how we know intrinsically the right thing to do, not that we always do that. It's because God created the world to live by his melody of wisdom. Listen to what the wisdom, uh, wisdom says of itself in Proverbs 8. The Lord brought me forth as the first of his works before the, his deeds of old. I was formed long ages ago, at the very beginning, when the world came to be. When there were no watery depths, I was given birth. When there were no springs overflowing with water. Before the mountains were settled in place, before the hills, I was given birth. Before he made the world or the fields or any of the dust of the earth, I was there when he set the heavens in place. When he marked out the horizon on the face of the deep. When he established the clouds above and fixed securely the foundations of the deep. When he gave the sea its boundaries so the waters would not overstep his command. And when he marked out the foundations of the earth, then I was constantly at his side. I was filled with delight day after day, rejoicing always in his presence, rejoicing in the whole world and delighting in mankind. Wisdom is the melody by which creation was made and lives by. But just because there's a melody 
doesn't mean we always sing along to it, does it? Just ask my wife, Sam, when she sits beside me at the front when we sing at church. Quite often. Wisdom is a universal law that is behind everything, and when we live lives of wisdom, we live in harmony with the song of creation. Or we come in line with the ways of the kingdom where things are on earth as it is in heaven. But wisdom, of course, isn't the only choice. There are always the ways of foolishness and wickedness, which leads me back to Tolkien. Remember in the, song, the story of the creation, there's a song that the creator's begun singing, and he's brought the other spiritual beings to join him in it. And it's here that one of these spiritual beings, Melkor, decides to create his own tune, having grown bored and dissatisfied with the harmony he was given. And as the song of creation is being sung, Melkor starts his own tune of, that creates discord in the midst of it. He creates evil and darkness, brings about rebellion through singing another song in the midst of creation. As we go back to Proverbs, we see wisdom is a song of creation, but wickedness and foolishness are other songs that sing discordant tunes into that song. Wickedness and foolishness are like the voice of Melkor singing darkness into the light. Because God has created the world to live by the melody of wisdom. And written into this melody are themes of righteousness and justice. In all the greatest orchestral, oh, sorry, in all the great orchestral works, like the soundtrack of Star Wars The New Hope, there are these themes that come in and out, that touch, touch points that let you know the quality of characters, like the bright and hopeful Leia's theme, or the driving and dark Vader's theme, the Imperial March. These themes come in and out to tell a story. In the same way, the melody of wisdom has themes of righteousness and justice that come in and out. We read of Proverbs, or of wisdom in Proverbs 8, my fruit is better than fine gold. What I yield surpasses choice silver. I walk in the way of righteousness, along the paths of justice, bestowing a rich inheritance on those who love me and making their treasures full. And we also read, the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth came knowledge and understanding. He holds success in store for the upright. He is a shield to those whose walk is blameless. For the guards he of the court, or for he guards the course of the just and protects the way of his faithful ones. Righteousness and justice are ways to walk, paths to go down. They are a gift from God. He, of course, is the righteous and just one who teaches us wisdom so we can walk like he does in the world. So what then is righteousness and how does it relate to justice? Righteousness is one of those words that we use, right? We don't always know what it means, but we say that's righteous or something like that. And if we think about it, maybe we think it probably has to do with like spiritual things, right? Like that a righteous person is someone who prays more, sins less, does good things or something like that. Or maybe we think about the wording of self-righteous and think that to be righteous is to be better than other people. Old Testament scholar J.W. Ollie writes, righteousness is to bring out bring about right and harmony for all. For individuals related in the community and to the physical and spiritual realms, it finds its basis in God's rule of the world. Righteousness is to bring about right and harmony for everyone. For individuals and for the community, for the physical realms and for the spiritual realms. It's about living in right relationship with God, with others, and with the created order. 
And when we do this, we live in harmony with all we sing in tune. Something that's picked up elsewhere in the scriptures is shalom, which translates to peace, where everything is in its right place. It's when the melody is played perfectly. It's what happens when things happen in our space, like they do in God's space, on earth as they do in heaven. So what then is justice? Well, Old Testament scholar Bruce Waltke writes, righteousness refers to moral quality that establishes right order, and justice refers to the moral quality that restores that right order when things are disturbed. So righteousness is how it's supposed to be, and when it's not how it is, that's when justice comes in to bring it along. Justice is how things are returned to the way they're supposed to be. It's like someone singing off tune and another person coming and bringing them back in tune by singing alongside them. Justice is the bringing of everything back to rights, especially as it relates to the needy and the vulnerable. This is a major theme throughout the whole Old Testament, which Jesus continues to discuss in his ministry, and as we see the people in the New Testament walk in. Throughout the Old Testament, when we talk about the needy and the vulnerable, the group of people we're describing is the poor, the widow, the foreigner, the oppressed, the orphan. They are the people on the fringes of society, the ones who in the culture of the time would have no one to defend them, no one to take up their rights. And so what we read is God does this, and he calls his people to do the same. Think back to the Exodus story. The Hebrew people are foreigners living in Egypt, and they become so numerous they become a threat to the king of Egypt, Pharaoh. And so he decides to mistreat and enslave them. And in their need, they cry out to God, and God delivers them. And he brings them eventually to the promised land, where they're to live in an entirely different way. And as they do, he says, if you mistreat others like you were mistreated, they will cry out to me. And when they cry out to me, I will deliver them in the same way I delivered you. Which is what we see happening in the exile. So in this context, we read in Proverbs 21, Whoever shuts their ears to the cry of the poor will also cry out and not be answered. The writer of Hebrews reminds his hearers that God is the God who hears the cry of the poor. God is on the side of the vulnerable. We also read, whoever is kind to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will reward them for what they've done. Not only is God on the side of the vulnerable, he associates with them. We read that when he picks up, sorry, We read that when we care for the vulnerable, we're caring for him, something that Jesus later picks up when he says, whatever you do to the least of these, the hungry, the thirsty, the naked, the prisoner, whenever you do this for them, you do it for me. When we meet the needs of the needy, we're meeting Jesus. In case you've ever been told that Jesus doesn't care about justice, you've heard wrong. Maybe you've been told that if we uh, take care of the poor and then they're no longer poor, then we're making Jesus out to be a liar because the poor will always be with you which is something I've been told before. That's not true. Jesus cares for the poor. Jesus cares for the needy. This is why we, you know, in Jesus' kingdom is one of righteousness where everyone's needs are met, and that's why we intrinsically celebrate when justice happens, when things are brought right. Because when the needy are cared for and the truth comes to light, that's a picture of the kingdom. As the Proverbs say, when justice is done, it brings joy to the righteous. And then it says, but terror to the evildoers. We intrinsically know when good things are happening, when justice is happening. And the only time that we run away from them is because we're the ones who are perpetrating that injustice. 
So God created the world to live by the melody of wisdom, and written into this melody are themes of righteousness and justice. And when we live in harmony with the wisdom of creation, we do so by living righteous and just lives. The call of wisdom to the wise is to live lives in harmony with the song of creation. And when things get back off track, run right back through justice. So how do we join in the song of wisdom? Bruce Waltke says, the righteous are willing to disadvantage themselves to advantage the community. The wicked are willing to disadvantage the community to advantage themselves. So how do we live in tune? We live lives to disadvantage ourselves for the sake of others, putting the needs of others before our own, like Jesus did, who didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped onto, but in humility, he became one of us. Let's be honest, this runs against the grain of our culture, doesn't it? Our culture is all about getting the best for ourselves, and I know I swim in it too. It's the air I breathe too often. And when we do this, we choose a different melody than the one that our culture chooses to sing when we, when we choose the song of disadvantage. Our culture sings songs of comfort, leisure, the biggest and the best. But we sing a song of disadvantage, the song of wisdom. Or as the Proverbs put it better, the poor whose walk is blameless than the rich whose ways are perverse. The call of wisdom says that righteousness is better than wealth. And if you have to choose between being righteous and poor or rich and wicked, always choose to be righteous. Even though the song of wickedness, of greed, of scarcity, of amassing more for yourself is so tempting, it's not worth singing. Now, because the Proverbs doesn't stay theoretical, but instead gets practical, let's talk about two practical justice issues we see in Proverbs. These are dishonest scales and boundary markers. So we read, the Lord detests dishonest scales, but accurate weights find favor with them. Differing weights and differing measures, the Lord detests these both. And the Lord detests differing weights and dishonest scales do not please him. So these are things that appear three times. Now, dishonest weights aren't when I go to the gym and lift like one pound weights if I could, um, and then tell Ben that I'm lifting 100 pounds like he does with one hand. Instead, what this is about is an economy at the time was not based on having uh, the same money and the same dollar amount. Instead, it was based on weights. And so we read about shekels or talents in the scripture, and we think, oh, these are probably dollars or something like that. Now, this is a set weight amount of things. And so to have honest scales means that you have one set of rocks, and your shekel actually weighs a shekel. A dishonest scale means you have two sets of rocks. You have one when you're buying, which is less than a shekel. So, or sorry, more than a shekel. So you put it on, and you're like, oh, okay, you've got a shekel, but actually you've got a shekel and a half. And you have another weight for when you're selling. And you make it seem bigger than it actually is. I probably said that wrong because I don't understand that world. Either way, what it is is you've got weights. And these weights are there to take advantage of others, to make it seem like you've got more so that in turn you get more. And what we see in the Proverbs is that God actually cares about honesty. And he cares about honesty in business. And he says, don't take advantage of others. And when we do this, we sing in tune. In Amos 8, when God delivers his message to the prophet, he says this. Hear this, you who trample on the needy and do away with the poor of the land, saying, when will the new moon be over that we may sell grain? 
and the Sabbath be ended that we may market wheat. Meaning, when is it the time will come when all these religious services are over and we can go back to selling stuff? He says, listen to me, you who are skimping on the measure, boosting the price and cheating with dishonest scales, buying the poor with silver and the needy with a pair of sandals, selling even the sweepings with wheat. God calls out his people because they have dishonest scales. He sends them into exile as a result. And we read later on in Proverbs, this is about now boundary stones. The Lord tears down the house of the proud, but he sets the widow's boundary stones in place. And he says later, do not move an ancient boundary stone set up by your ancestors. In a time without real property reports and civic planning, the land was divided by boundary stones, rocks placed on borders. And there was this, this uh, darkness tune that would go around where people would take boundary stones, especially of widows and the poor and other vulnerables, and slowly over time move them over an inch by inch by inch. So in the process, your land gets bigger and their land gets smaller. Or there were people with power who would just take the boundary stones and smash them like Ahab and Jezebel did to Naboth in 1 Kings 21. This whole process of moving boundary stones is apparently common enough that it gets mentioned. But God cares about the land people are given, which is why we read about things like the year of Jubilee in Leviticus, where every 49 years, debts were canceled, land was returned to people who had to sell it to make ends meet, and slaves were set free. Friends, in case it's not clear, and again, these are just a few of the highlights of injustice and righteousness in Proverbs, the righteous should care about justice for the poor. God has created the world to move by the melody of wisdom. And written as this melody are themes of righteousness and justice. And we live in harmony with the wisdom of creation by living righteous and just lives, which is exactly what we see in Jesus. When we look at him, we see someone who disadvantaged himself constantly for the sake of others. I mean, it starts at the incarnation. He becomes one of us. And then he constantly models humility. He doesn't seek revenge for injustice committed against himself, but instead he forgives and he blesses. When we look at Jesus, we see the actions of someone who cares deeply for the vulnerable. Think about when he quotes in Isaiah 61 in the book of Luke, saying, the spirit of God is on him to proclaim good news to the poor, freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, and the setting free of the oppressed. You see in Jesus the caring of both physical and spiritual needs. He is moved with compassion. And when he pronounces his kingdom, he pronounces it by saying in Luke 6, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. But woe to you who are rich, for you have already received your comfort. Woe to you who are well fed, for you will go away hungry. Those are some hard words. Jesus announces his kingdom and says that in his kingdom, it's the poor and the hungry who are the blessed ones, not the rich and the stuffed like Rome. Perhaps this is because in first century Israel, taxation levels were so high that most everybody was poor and hungry. And the only way to be rich was by participating in injustice. Or maybe it's just prophetic hyperbole. I don't know. But I do know that when I read these words, it hits hard. And I do know that Jesus is saying in his kingdom, it's the kind of place where the poor will belong and the hungry will be satisfied. And then we see him do this, right? He feeds 4,000, 5,000. People keep following after him because he has bread and he gives it to them. And they keep coming probably because they're hungry. 
Jesus feeds the hungry. And he tells his apprentices, seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, and all will be given to you as well. We might be tempted to think it's about the right government or laws being passed, and if these things happen, justice comes. Then the kingdom will be on earth. But the reality is the kingdom transcends governments, parties, ideologies, economies, and so on. There is always something about the issues of justice and righteousness here in North America that makes us divide, that makes us separate, ignore, and I think in the process, deafen ourselves to the song of wisdom. Jesus invites us to seek first his kingdom and not our ideologies, but his kingdom, and to seek first his righteousness. And when we settle for anything less, we settle for less. Jesus has called us to be citizens of his kingdom no matter what. And then in another punchy passage, because Jesus says these things, he says to the religious elite, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you've neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. You blind guides, you strain out a gnat but swallow a camel. Woe to you, teachers of the law, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and the dish but inside you're full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the dish, and then outside will be clean. You wonder why they wanted to kill him. Jesus calls them out for tithing on their spices. It's like, can you get any more into the weeds? He says, you're spending all your time worrying about these things, and you missed out on the important things. You become the kind of people that worry about spices, but not the kind of people who care about justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You think it's all about the religious things you do, but you've missed out on it's the kind of people that you are. Because you can do the right things, you can give to the right charities, but in process, if you're not actually having your heart transformed, you have the look of righteousness, but you're singing a different song. Because when it comes to the song of creation, it comes from the inside out. It's like New Testament scholar N.T. Wright says, the line between justice and injustice, between things being right and things not being right, can't be drawn between us and them. It right, runs right down the middle of each of us. The source of our injustice isn't what our hands are doing. But instead, the source of our injustice comes from our hearts. The heart in the Hebrew worldview was the seed of our beings, the place where our will and emotion sits. It's the motivator of our decision. Think of the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus says, you've heard about things like murdering and vengeance and adultery, but I tell you, deal with what's behind it. Those actions of anger, violence, and lust, those motivators, don't settle on following through those heart's movements to their ends, but instead deal with them at their beginning. It's really easy to jump to the big things of justice. Things like slavery, unjust borders, human trafficking, the child sex trade, racial, racial injustice and reconciliation, sweatshops, immigration, suicide rates in the LGBT or suicide rates in the LGBTQ community, especially their youth, the children of uh, parents being orphaned because of being LGBTQ, war, the way we treat the planet, homelessness, housing, affordability. These are just some of the very important things that are going on in our world that need to be addressed in justice. Some of you are actually dealing with these day in and day out. Others of you, they're all ideas. The problem is, is when we keep them in the big things, we can keep them at arm's length. They can feel insurmountable. 
Proverbs tells kings to judge fairly, to not take bribes, to cultivate justice and righteousness in society because God cares about just and right societies. He cares about the way systems run and the, that take advantage of the vulnerable and those on the wrong side of power. Again, look at Israel being delivered and Israel going into exile. That's also a bigger discussion than any one sermon. God also cares about weights and scales and boundary markers. He cares about the small things. The things you do when you think nobody's looking. Things I do when I think nobody's looking. God cares about the injustice in our hearts and rooting that out. So as you think of your heart, and I think of my heart, what melodies would move us towards injustice? One of the things that challenges us, is, challenges us to live in its way instead of Jesus's is, of course, consumerism. It breeds in us the desire to have the best at the best deal. What does this discontentment and dissatisfaction do to our hearts? How does it allow us and cause us to take advantage of others? It's about not caring where your food or, your clo- or where your clothing or coffee comes from, as long as you can have the best deal. Maybe it's the greed and scarcity that our world operates by, these motivations that tell us that there will never be enough and so we better amass for ourselves because we've deserved it, we've earned it, or what if there's not enough? Like, what if one day there's a global pandemic and at the same time there's not enough toilet paper? I better make sure I have enough, which the Proverbs actually speak to. They say, bless, or people curse those who hoard grain or toilet paper. But they pray God's blessing on the one who's willing to sell and not on Amazon and at outrageous prices. The invitation of Proverbs is to rethink our lives by the way of wisdom. And maybe the choice just needs to be to agree to live a little bit more simply, to live with a little less. As Proverbs 15.8 says, better, to li- better a little with righteousness than much gain with injustice. Maybe it's to make the choice to be content with less. It's good and important to ask questions about where did our food or phone or clothes come from? How well was the person paid that made it? And what were their working conditions like? It's good to talk about the housing market and what's driving up rent prices and how Airbnb might not be helpful. It's good to ask questions about why are there more slaves in the world today than there were 100 years ago. But it's also good to ask the questions of what's my life like on the inside? What's the inside of my cup like? What are the motivations of my heart? How am I singing outside of tune with wisdom and righteousness? And asking the Spirit, would you come and sing me back into tune? Let's let him examine us, remembering mercy, justice, and faithfulness, allowing him to transform our hearts to be more like his, to allow us to sing in greater harmony with the song of wisdom. And so I have just one question for us today. It's a question to sit with Jesus about. Jesus, where is my heart out of tune with the melody of wisdom? And remember, Jesus doesn't come with shame. He'll come with conviction. He'll beckon us forwards, but he never shames you. And so if there's a voice of shame coming with it, that's actually a discordant tune coming from the evil one. This would you have, and, I, and would I, have the humility to sit with Jesus and ask, what song is my heart singing? And would you turn my heart to sing to yours?
Thank you for tuning into our podcast today. To discover more about Stony Plain Alliance Church and its ministries, visit our website at spaconline.com. Grace and peace.